1: Hi everyone. This is such a fun episode with author Sarah Puckman. I hope that you enjoy our conversation about gone tonight. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Sarah Pekkanen, she is the number one New York Times bestselling co-author of four novels of suspense, including The Golden Couple and the solo author of the thriller Gone Tonight. She is also the solo author of eight internationally best-selling women's fiction books and an award-winning former journalist. She serves as a U.S. ambassador for RRSA India and works hands-on in India to rescue street dogs. She lives just outside of Washington, D.C. with her family. We had a wonderful conversation. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. This is Emma, and today's author is a very special guest. We have Sarah Pekkanen, who is here today to talk about her new book, Gone Tonight, that comes out on
0: August 1st. Welcome. I am so happy to be here. Thank you.
1: We are so excited to have you on the podcast. For our regular listeners, they know that we, um, my co-host Joe and I, definitely lean towards the thriller. And so this is a very exciting day for us to have you on the podcast to talk about Gone Tonight. So for our listeners that may not be
0: familiar, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Absolutely. Gone Tonight is a mother-daughter thriller. So it's narrated by the two different characters. And basically the daughter is grown She's only had her mom in her life her entire, her entire life. Her mom was disowned uh, when she was a teenager. And so it's really just been the two of them. But now the daughter is grown and her mom is very overprotective. And she has decided she wants to live her own life in a different city. And her mom is determined to keep her daughter close and to keep her from moving away. And it's unclear if the danger is coming from one of them or from the outside. That
1: was the most perfect way to describe the feelings of this book. (laughs) That's such a good point. The emphasis of the story is certainly on the mother and daughter relationship and what sort of secrets they may each be keeping from the other. When did the idea for this story
0: first come to you? Mm -hmm. You know, ideas are so tricky. I wish I was like J.K. Rowling, who, you know, would sit down at a coffee shop and the entire idea for Harry Potter would just form in her mind. Ideas for me don't usually work in that kind of lightning bolt way. Occasionally they do. So with this book, I think it really formed kind of slowly. Um my, my character, Ruth, who's uh, the 41-year-old mother of 24-year-old Catherine, works as a waitress and, you know, never went to college and is, you know, sort of very fierce about her daughter. She wants the best for her daughter. That character was very loosely based on my grandmother, who dropped out of school when she was quite young to work in the mills and support her family, never graduated from high school and worked as a waitress her whole life but ended up, um, you know, with uh, two sons who uh, went on to get college degrees. And in my dad's case, a graduate degree. And so just that idea of like, you know, wanting so much for your kids, that push pull of keeping them close versus letting them go. And then I also had the thought of you know, we don't really know our parents that well, like for us in a way, it's like their lives begin when, you know, when we show up and they orient around us. But I was very intrigued by the idea of a mom with a incredibly twisty and somewhat dark past that the daughter knows nothing about. I
1: love all of those elements. I'm just sitting here nodding. The listeners can't see the nodding, but that is so true when you sort of realize, I think in early adulthood that your parents are people and that there were a lot of things that came before they were a parent. I definitely relate to that as a a relatively new parent. And so sort of grappling with that, like, what am I doing? Who am I as a mom and a person? It's definitely something you think about more. I think when you cross that sort of uh, threshold into parenthood and you sort of struggle with, like you said, with Ruth and Catherine, keeping your kids close, but also giving them space to, to be people and all of the dynamics there are very complicated.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, as you know, when you have a child, your identity shifts and changes. You're no longer, you know, just you, you have your professional identity and and everything else. And now you're a mother and that you know, it's this fundamental shift in how you move about in the world and how people see you and how you see yourself.
1: Yeah, it really does change things. And I know people say that, uh, but you don't really seem to understand what that means until it happens. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) So you said that this book came to you sort of gradually over time, there were bits and pieces inspired by, you know, real life, and then other things sort of came in later. How long did this book take to come together in the writing process?
0: Well, I hope other writers don't hate me for saying this, because (laughs) this book was a gift. And I believe every writer gets one of these books in their lifetime. This was mine. It took four months from start to finish to write, which is a record for me. It was such a surreal experience. I would wake up super early in the morning, some mornings as early as four, voluntarily with no alarm and run down to the couch with my laptop and start writing. I couldn't write fast enough. It was, you know, at times like I was almost taking dictation. The ideas were flowing so quickly. And I actually had an experience during this book that I've never had before in which I was dreaming that I was inside a scene of the book talking to my characters, Ruth and Catherine. I could hear their voices. They were showing me around a room. It was one of their hiding places and they were showing me it. And I was thinking, oh yeah, that's exactly like I pictured it, you know, in the scene I'm going to write, but I was living inside the scene in that moment. I woke up, I ran to my laptop and I wrote that scene.
1: That's incredible that that inspiration and all of that just sort of was there even to the point that you were dreaming about it and that it just sort of flowed seamlessly out
0: of you. How cool. Yeah. It was amazing. I I get a little bit obsessed when I'm writing. And it feels almost like there's this sort of like this constant itch that you're always wanting to get back to the manuscript, whatever you're doing, you're sort of half in this world and half in the world of your book. My boyfriend always teases me. He's like, oh, I'm going to be a book widow again. You're, you know, you're going off to write and I know I'm going to look at you and ask you a question in the kitchen and you're going to nod and you're going to have no idea of what I've been talking about because you're lost in that world. And you see the world through a different filter. When you're out, you're constantly like a magpie looking around going, oh, you know, how would I describe that tree? I want to use that. Or you're overhearing a snippet of conversation. And you're like, oh, that was great dialogue. I I want to put that in. If not for this book, it'll work for something else. So you're kind of very attuned to your world, but at the same time, you're not completely in it. That's one of the coolest ways I've heard to
1: describe the writing process, because I think that's so true with the authors I've spoken to where you're sort of caught between both. You're very immersed in the world of your story. And it's, I think, a challenge, but also a a gift, as you said, to be able to flow with the story and that sort of mind mindset. I imagine it's difficult though when you're like in your real life making dinner and you're just off in the other world and everyone needs your attention or needs something.
0: <laughs> well, I'm a terrible cook, so I don't make dinner too much. But um, <laughs> but you relate yeah, it to that is. as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but another piece that's hard is when you have to say goodbye to the characters. I miss Ruth and Catherine so much. I just, you know, I. I hated letting them go. And I wrote kind of like an emotional email to my agent, like, how does anybody do this? How do we not write, you know, the book that we've been living with for these months? And we've gotten to know these characters so well. And I remember she wrote me back a really nice response. And she said, you know, I don't know what that's like to finish writing a book and have that kind of joy and heartbreak. But I know as a reader, when I read a really great book and it's over, I feel that too.
1: Yes, absolutely. When you, that is so true. When you finish a book, you certainly feel that loss when it was a story that impacted you, resonated with you. When you were writing this book, I'm interested to know how much of the sort of order that we see in the book came to you naturally as you were writing it, or how much of that sort of comes into play in that editing process. So for our listeners, we have the story told from both Ruth and Catherine's perspective. And there are some fun bits in there. We see some of Ruth's almost journal entries. How much of that just sort of comes to you when you're writing it start to finish and how much sort of comes into play after?
0: I would say that at this point, so Gone Tonight is my 13th book. At this point, the structure is... um, a bit easier for me because I've studied it so much. And I've had so many years of a learning curve in putting a book together. So what I'll normally do is I'll write my editor a synopsis. Um, And I used to hate writing a synopsis. I felt like I don't know what the story is until I'm in there digging around. But I've realized it's actually a terrific thing for me to do. It's like eating your vegetables. You're going to be really happy about it that you did it. It's um, it forces you to get your arms around the book and and lay it out there and that can be your blueprint for writing the book even if you veer away here or there. So I'll write a, maybe a five page synopsis. I'll send it to her, and that generally tells the story of the book in the order I'm going to tell it. And then uh, she'll get back to me. And you know this is another way. This is so valuable because, you know, this hasn't happened to me yet, but it's always, it could always be out there. She could say, oh my gosh, we have another book, you know, that we're publishing next year with a very similar theme, or actually, I really don't like this idea. You know, you want to hear that early on. You don't want to hear that after 400 pages. So I do a synopsis, then I write a few chapters and I send them to her and just say, you know, this is a voice i tone I'm, I'm going for. And then when I get the, you know, thumbs up on that, I go and write the book. I will say gone tonight again being such a gift, really flowed out in the order that you see it. I added during the editing process, um, I added uh one scene. Um, and you know, I there was a great suggestion. I had written the journal entries um initially that they had already been written, and I changed it so that they were being written in real time by Ruth as she unschooled her past and let us know everything she was concealing. So those were the bigger changes versus actually moving around the pieces of the book. It it did flow beginning to end. That's so cool to hear
1: that, that's, that the story is pretty much how you wrote it, that that's the flow that these characters spoke to you in. And I loved that Ruth was sort of I don't think this is a spoiler, but just uh, for listeners, it's hard to talk about thrillers without giving some things away. So we do our best, but, um, I love the sort of urgency with which Ruth was writing down her story to her daughter, given all of the other things that the characters are going through in that moment.
0: You handled that perfectly. You did not give anything away. And there was a real urgency on Ruth's part. She felt like I've hidden this story for so long and now I have to tell it. Like, this is it. This is my one chance to reveal who I am to my daughter. Exactly. That's sort
1: of catalyst for the things that you want to make sure you're imparting to your children or vice versa, that you want to ask your parents and and make sure you have that sort of record of that understanding of who they are as people or like family history and things like that. And there are some Tricky things that come into play that sort of put that at the forefront of both characters. You've mentioned that this is your 13th book. You have had the, I think, pretty cool experience of writing books both alone and together with a co-author. What are the differences or, or what are those experiences like?
0: That is such a great question. Um yeah, I mean, I I I wrote eight books on my own, and they were more. Uh, women's fiction more in in the vein of Jennifer Weiner or Taylor Jenkins Reid. And then I teamed up with Greer Hendricks to write four co-authored thrillers. And now I'm writing solo thrillers. So I've kind of, you know, it's it's fun to mix things up as a writer. But I would say the biggest difference between writing a book as a co-author and writing solo is when you're writing alone, it's basically your ideas, and they come out your fingertips. It's all a very internal process where you're thinking through your ideas and then translating them into words. When you're writing with a co-author, you have to add a step in the middle. You have to talk. You have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do in this scene? What's going to happen here? And so it It was kind of like a new muscle I had to learn. And in the beginning, it was a huge challenge. I'm like, why are we talking? Let's just write. Like that's how we do it. Um, and Greer had come at things from the editing point of view. So she had been much more used to talking. And so it was having to really learn, okay, it's got to now go, you know, brain, mouth, and then fingertips. Um, but I think it I think it actually made me a much stronger writer because it forced me to clarify what I wanted to do before I did it. And so in writing the solo book, I talk to myself all the time <laughs> and I do find myself like talking, you know, just talking the ideas out before I write and even as I write. And it's a good thing I write at home because I can imagine if I'm at a coffee shop and I'm like, okay, you know, he's going to kill her with this now, like that that might not go over so well.
1: <laughs> yes, Absolutely. And so speaking of your writing process, do you have like an ideal writing setup? Do you sort of commit to writing every day when you're in the middle of a book? What is that like for you?
0: Yeah, I love process questions because I feel like writing is like so complicated and tricky. And so like just peering back, you know, behind the curtain and seeing how it works is always fascinating to me how other writers do it. And I love sharing how I do it. I like to write first thing in the morning. I feel like my brain when I come out of like sleep, my brain is fresh. I haven't been on social media, answering emails, you know, doing all the millions of things that, you know, I do that's going to clutter up my brain and make it, you know, less clear. So I have my my three things or four things I need and so I write on my couch with my laptop, a cup of coffee and my little rescue dog always curls up next to me and um Lila. Uh, so uh, that's that's really my preferred place. I do have um, an office with a desk where I'll go in and write sometimes. But for me, I feel like writing has to be kind of cozy. It's very intimate. And I like doing it on the couch in the dark house, you know, just kind of curled up like I'm telling a story to a friend. So I'll generally, generally write, um, you know, maybe 5 a.m., Uh, I take a break to get my son to school, I go back, I write again for a few hours, and then I'll often do an afternoon and or an evening session. So I can't generally write longer than three or four hours at a time, I, you know, get a bit of creative burnout. And so I'll go for a walk or, you know, whatever it is I'm going to do attack my emails, and then go back to it a bit later.
1: I think that that is so fun to hear that you like to write in that sort of cozy setting. Like you're just telling a story to a friend, because that is certainly how it feels. I think when you find a book that you enjoy, that you relate to, you then have that sort of community of readers who also feel the same and you're all just sort of in it together. So I love that you said, you're just sort of in that cozy space, writing it, you know, like you're telling the stories.
0: And, you know, you're so right like with the readers you know when because when we writers are telling the story like it's it's just here it's like just us and our minds and our page and then when it goes out into the world like on tonight's you know going to be out in a couple weeks i'm starting to hear from early readers and that is the coolest thing because they all have their own image of what the characters look like or who would play them on a tv show they you know they Want to talk about different parts of the book and they're really breathing life into it, making it three-dimensional. And every reader is going to have their own experience, their own opinion about the book. And it is so great to go out. I absolutely love book tour because you're out there with these people who have taken, you know, a day, two days, however long to read your book. They've invested that time. They care about the characters. And I'm so grateful when I go out and meet them and I love, you know, talking to them and hearing what they, what they think, signing a book for them um that is like the you know one of the big rewards is just getting to meet readers.
1: And that's so true. That is such a, a fun part of the experience. I think that we have missed the last couple of years and are slowly sort of being able to do more of where we can interact with our favorite authors and just tell them how much we loved it. and it's so fun to be able to have that interaction again. Since you mentioned book tour, I will skip ahead to that question that I had for you. Um, What are you most excited to do for book tour? You're going to several places. Is there anywhere that you're most looking forward to going? Or is it, again, just being able to see those readers in person and, and other authors that you'll be doing some of the events with?
0: Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always excited to do stuff in my you know area. My closest bookstore is Politics and Prose, so that'll be really fun on launch night. Um, I'm doing an event in Pennsylvania where my book is set, and that'll be with Laura Lipman. And we were actually reporters together for the Baltimore Sun. We were both feature writers a few decades ago, so it'll be really cool to do an event um, with her. And I'm going down to the beach to do an event uh, with uh, Hannah McKinnon, which will be great. Um, so it'll just, I'm going to Minnesota. So yeah, we, I am getting back out there, um, you know, uh, going out, meeting readers. And um, that is going to be fantastic because you're right. I, I have not done that in years and i really missed it.
1: Yeah, and what a small world that some of these authors that are sort of in that, you know, writer
0: thriller community are people that you knew in a past life. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I, you know, I I never told Laura this, but I look forward to telling her when I see her. I was sort of admiring of her and a tiny bit intimidated by her because she's this, you know, gorgeous, tall woman and she would you know, stroll into the features department at nine o'clock and she would have already get, gone out like rowing on the Patapsco river or running five miles. And then she would have gone to a coffee shop and written a chapter of her book. And then she'd come in and do a day's work. And I, I I'm sure that inspired me. I had already wanted to write fiction before that, but seeing, oh, there's somebody right here who's doing it. She was writing books and, you know, her first one, Baltimore Blues came out, um, you know, shortly before I was hired. And so that just made it possible.
1: That's so cool. And to see that, that there was inspiration there and that, that had an impact to sort of come full circle and have an author event with her. How fantastic.
0: Yeah,
1: it'll definitely be fun. Speaking of other authors and this sort of fantastic community that you are a part of, there are some pretty wild names on the back of this book, giving praise for Gone Tonight. We have Colleen Hoover, Harlan Coben, Samantha Downing. Like what was, what is it like to be part of such a cool community of thriller writers? And then also to know that you have their support for this book.
0: I, I am blown away, honestly. I mean, you know, when you go out and ask for blurbs, we all have to do it. And you know, you're asking these incredibly busy people. Like Colleen Hoover has one or two other things going on at the moment, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're asking them to take, you know, again, a day or two, read your work, like take away from from their job, do this, and endorse you. And you know, it's very hit or miss. A lot of you know authors, you know, can ask, and and you may not get the blurbs. Um, people are just too busy, or they've maybe blurbed too many other books. So I, I threw out the request. Um, I have never met Colleen in person. But right before It Ends With Us came out, I was asked to blurb it. And I did. I read it. And I was like, this this woman is a fantastic storyteller. And my blurb is still on the back of It Ends With Us and has been all these years. So I blurbed it maybe 10, 12 years ago. I don't know, whenever it came out. And I guess Colleen remembered that. And so she took the time to read and blurb my book. There was still no guarantee she would like it, but thank goodness she did. And so it was amazing. Oh, with Harlan, um, I met him super briefly once at a party for Jen Weiners, uh, one of her book releases. And he's very distinctive looking. He's very tall. And you you just know who Harlan Coben is. We all recognize him. And I kind of gathered my courage and he was at the bar, you know, ordering a drink and I went up and ordered a drink and just said, Hey, how are you? You know, I'm a huge fan of yours. And he was very charming, but we, we didn't talk for more than a minute. And so I sent that email and we, my editor called me and said, you know, we just got a Harlan Coben blurb. And again, I could not, I could not believe it. I'm like, either one of those would have been a dream, you know, and Samantha Downing, my lovely wife, Alex Finley, like they started coming in and, and that's when you feel like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm getting this, you know this verification that the book is good, and I'm just so grateful to them for doing this.
1: yeah, and what a small again, what a small world, but also how cool that authors that you've read or that you've admired or that you know that it all sort of comes full circle and that there's such a good it seems like support network, um, you know, between different authors when you because it is such a unique. I think career path to take of yeah. folks that don't write certainly can only imagine what it's like, you know, to put these stories out and into the world. And I love that Colleen remembered that you blurbed it uh, her book, you know, all those years ago um, before all the TikTok hype. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I assume she did remember, but maybe not. Maybe she just, you know, um, but but I assume she did. But yeah, she's, she is absolutely lovely. Like I'm following, you know, her career, of course. How could you not? And just, it seems like she is like so many authors that I've met and we are a super supportive community. I mean, I wish I could blurb every single book I get. I would love to, but you you can't do that. You don't have the time to read them all. And I absolutely read everything I blurb. Um, but authors really like, there's a feeling if you love books, you're not just going to read one book, like you're going to be reading lots of books. So it doesn't take anything away from me. If you love, you know, somebody else's book, it just means you love reading and that's great. And so it doesn't, we're not in competition with each other. We're lifting each other up and we're helping each other.
1: Exactly. And I think that what I enjoy, I mean, and certainly one of the purposes of sort of those blurbs and pull quotes is if you know that you enjoy that other author and you've not yet experienced this one, it's a nice little way to go, oh, that gets my attention. And I think that there's no shortage of things to read. It's just my opinion that everyone should read as much as
0: they can by as many of these great authors as possible. I love that theory. We should, or that philosophy. We should all read as much as we can. I completely agree. And
1: whatever we want, <laughs> no judgment on yes. the books you want Oh my read. gosh, yes. <laughs> read them all, yes. Exactly. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning
0: journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but
1: I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it, because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week,
0: wherever you get your podcasts. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food. So come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.
1: So taking us back to the book, uh, now that we've deviated a little bit. I am interested to know why you were particularly interested in exploring that mother and daughter dynamic mothers and daughters is very specific. It feels like it sort of differs. I know it differs from mothers and sons yeah. <laughs> and um, why well, I'm interested in why you wanted to explore that mother and daughter sort of specifically.
0: Mm, that is that you've got good questions. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had never really explored that dynamic in a book before. In one, I I had a few of my characters had uh, been mothers in my solo women's fiction, Um, but I had never explored explored it in a thriller. And I love the idea that you know we've all read the thrillers about like you know the husband is you know maybe there's something off with him or the boss or the neighbor or the friend, but the mother. Like, how could either the mother or the daughter? you know, potentially be dangerous? Because again, we don't know where the danger is coming from. When they are supposed to know each other so, so well, how could they have this whole side of their personality hidden from them? And so I think that challenge really spoke to me. Can I tell a thriller um, in this way? But I also knew I would have to blend in the character development that I had really explored during my eight previous solo books. So I wanted to write a little bit of a hybrid, like it's definitely a thriller, but I've been told by some people, they cry toward the end. They got teary or a little bit emotional. I've been, you know, told like the characters like felt very three-dimensional. So I'm loving that now the, the, the blending of both and exploring uh, both parts, the best parts of the two genres I love.
1: You succeeded. I did cry as well. At certain parts of this
0: book. (laughs) Thank you. That is a huge compliment. Thank you.
1: It was really cool to see that there are some of, I mean, people think a thriller has to be sort of intense all the time that there's maybe no moments of resolution or, or happiness, but I, this is still very much a thriller, but it was very cool to see some of those heartfelt moments that we get towards the end of the book thank you i'm glad it worked it it did and i'm wondering if and this is all hypothetical when i ask these questions if this story would have been different if it was a mother and a son or a father and a son like if any mm-hmm. of those dynamics were switched you know would ruth have done those exact same things for for a son oh
0: that is a really good question i I feel like it would have been different, don't you? I feel like she yeah. would have treated her son a bit differently. She might not have been so protective. Mm-hmm. I think she you know, probably saw herself in her daughter in the way she might not a child of you know a different gender, and she knew what she had gone through and wanted to protect her daughter from those sorts of experiences. So I, I think you're right. I think she would have been different with the son.
1: I think so too. And it's certainly something I'm really fascinated by just sort of like the mother and daughter dynamic or like mother and son and just how it, how all of that is so unique, just depending on the circumstances.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely intense, right? A lot of room there to dig into.
1: Very much so. There's probably a lot we could unpack with Ruth and Catherine. Speaking of which they both sort of cross certain lines in this book and a sort of mild, I'll say mild, mild spoiler, spoiler adjacent for listeners. So we'll uh, skip ahead if you have not yet read the book, but just as an example, like Ruth, isn't quite honest with her daughter about her memory or any of those things that are, are sort of happening. And Catherine in turn sort of keeps her mom completely in the dark to how much she's looking for information about her past. Both of those things, like sort of lying to your daughter or your mother and snooping around and all of those things are generally frowned upon in a relationship. <laughs> Why do those characters feel like they can't be upfront with one another um, when they have such a close relationship?
0: Well, Ruth, on Ruth's part, and I did think about this a lot because Ruth does perpetuate um, something pretty unforgivable. But I felt like for her, it was the lesser of two evils. She would do anything to protect her daughter. And, you know, when you think about it, the people you love, what would you do to protect them? Would you lie? Would you die for them? Would you kill for them? You know, maybe we would for our kids do all of those things. And I think Ruth was in that place. For her, it felt like life or death. So, you know, anything that I'm going to do, no matter how horrific, no matter how dishonest is justified in a way, if it means I can protect my daughter. And for Catherine, I think when she began to realize that her mother was not who she thought she was, if that's sort of vague enough, um, she didn't trust her mom and she didn't know what else her mom had lied about. And so instead of going to her mom and simply asking her, she felt like her mom would probably just lie again. So she wanted to sneak around and learn more. And as she did, it just reaffirmed to her, like there's actually a whole lot going on here that that uh, has been hidden from you.
1: Very true. And with Catherine, there are certain things that you sort of don't, she didn't think to even question until sort of that one piece of information Sort of poked a hole in everything else, and and then we sort of follow that trail down and see what uh, what Ruth is actually hiding.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you nailed it when you said like she didn't think to question anything. You know, it was like her mother, you know, whatever her mother told her, she accepted. Why would her mother ever lie about you know anything? And so she she and because they were so enmeshed, because. Um, it had always just been the two of them. I think she was it more in that mode than if she had had a lot of adults in her life. Her mother was the only authority figure in her life. And so her word, you know, that was it.
1: Yes, she didn't have any reason to believe the things her mother was saying weren't true. This is also a little spoilery adjacent. Um, I wanted to ask you about James in the book without getting too into the weeds of it because we do want people to you know be surprised by the elements of the story if they haven't read it yet. How do you even begin to craft a character like James?
0: It's mm. creepy. <laughs> Put it mildly. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it goes to the heart of one of the main questions my book raises: is evil a natural force or is it man-made? Is it something that people can be born with, or is it something that is created? And in profiles of people who go on to become killers, you know, there are these certain markers you can point to: was there childhood abuse? Did they ever abuse an animal? You know, whatever it is, um, and there are certain things that kind of line up and, and indicate that. And so we we know with James that he had an addiction to violence. Uh, we don't know a lot about what happened in his early life. We know he has a stepfather who was described as being a hard-looking man with kind of a mean line for a mouth. Might have been something there. Um, but with James, I imagine he was abused and he was just fascinated by violence. And I wanted it to be the scariest kind of threat, because he came wrapped in like a very ordinary package, even a sympathetic looking, you know, attractive package. He seemed very tender and kind, and he didn't present as who he truly was. And I think that's more terrifying than when you see, you know, somebody looking uh, violent and angry.
1: It is absolutely more terrifying. We'll right when you first meet him, you're like, oh, okay, hello. And that's not quite <laughs> as it seems as the book continues on and we sort of learn more and more about him.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's quickly talk about the audiobook version of Gone Tonight. It's narrated by Kate Mara. How did that come about? And I saw on
0: Instagram that you uh, had a little meetup with her. Yeah, I mean, Kate. So I have been a fan of Kate Mara's from House of Cards. You know, she played the young reporter who was pushed in front of the train. She was Johansson in The Martian. She was a brilliant computer expert in that film. Um, I just watched her on Hulu where she uh, played the role uh, of a teacher in the, the series A Teacher. She was in Shooter with Mark Wahlberg. Like she's just, she is such a good actress, and she's got an amazing voice. And so, when uh, we were kicking around ideas for a narrator, we thought, you know, let's go, let's go for an actress. Let's go with Kate. She was at the top of our list, and it was kind of like the Colleen Hoover, Hoover blurb and the Harlan blurb, where you're like, okay, you know, my agent's going to throw it out there to her agent, or my publisher's going to throw it out there to her agent, but it's going to be like a stone landing in a lake she's never going to see it or you know hear about this um, or do it and then i heard back she's interested and then she's going to do it and i could not believe it and i kept thinking like maybe something's going to go wrong and she's you know not going to be able to do this and then i got an email from my publisher my amazing audiobook publisher at macmillan saying hey we think we're going to send you to LA so that you can meet Kate and listen to her record part of your book. And they're like, here's your tickets. You're going, you know, you're going to stay for a few days and here's the recording studio. So I flew out there. I got to the recording studio and I was walking up and down on the sidewalk trying to figure out which building it was. And then I hear a voice from the parking lot, Sarah, I turn around and there's Kate Mara (laughs) and she is standing there. She runs over, gives me a hug. We chat. Um, We had connected on Instagram. Uh, So, you know, we kind of were getting to know each other that way. So she gave me a big hug and she was like, you know, every bit as you would think she is. She's gorgeous. She's smart. She's got this kind of like calm, confidence. She seems very grounded. And, you know, we talked about kids and life. And then we went into the studio and within a minute we were like cracking up and had our arms around each other for the photos. And then she went in to record. And so she gets into like this, you know, kind of a little bit bigger than a phone booth sized uh, soundproof building. And she's got the big microphone and she has the actual uh, book open on a stand. And I was right outside watching her with the sound engineers um, as she would record the book. And as she began speaking the words, I just started crying. I'm like, I cannot believe she's doing this and she's bringing this to life in such an incredible way. Her performance is amazing. I'm just, I I love going on to social media and seeing the reviews from people who have heard her and have said she's the perfect narrator.
1: That's incredible. And I agree. When I heard she was narrating this, I thought that there couldn't be a more perfect match for the story. It just fit. And I'm so glad that it all worked out so that she was able to do that. How fun of an experience as well.
0: It was, I have a great publisher. (laughs) They are, you know, I think they knew that it would be a once in a lifetime, you know, thing. And um, yeah, they were amazing. It was such a gift from them. And so during that experience, do you give
1: any input sort of for the narration or like suggestions or is a lot of that um, sort of at the discretion of the narrator?
0: Well, um, they did ask me once uh, about a certain pronunciation of a word. It was either like affect and effect or something like that, you know, a word that can go a few different ways. But generally, Kate would have the audio team at my publisher um, kind of in her ear. They were watching her um, remotely and they were listening. And there was one member of the audio team who had a book in their hands and they would go along as Kate read. And every now and then they would say in this like, you know, lovely voice, oh, please, Kate, you know, that line had an italic on this word. So would you mind just giving that a bit more emphasis? So they were kind of directing a little bit or they'd say, you know, you uh, left out a word here, but she was in the zone. Like she was gesturing when she was talking and and you could kind of see her, Um you know, breathing life into this. So she did not need a lot of uh you know direction. She she had it nailed. Yeah, the
1: audiobook process is so fascinating. And there are some of those narrators that are just like that is what they're meant to be doing. It's so cool when they just go in and get it and it's
0: fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah I've been lucky. I've had some great ones.
1: Now Switching gears just a little bit as we sort of um, wind down and also because our listeners and myself included, we love to get to know the authors a little bit more as people as well is if you're, when you're reading books, do you often read in the sort of same genres
0: that you write and what are your preferences there? So I love to read in my genre, but not when I'm writing, because I always worry, like, I don't want anything to filter into my books through my subconscious and a tone or, you know, whatever it is. So when I'm not um, writing in my genre or uh, writing, then I will read in my genre. But like, uh, right now I'm working on something. So I just read uh, The Five Star Weekend by Hildebrand. And I've got David Graham's new book nonfiction, the wager up next, um, because I actually worked with him as a young reporter as well, um, many years ago, and he's one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, so I'll, I'll read very broadly. I'll read anything from, uh, you know, a book on, I don't know, a, a nonfiction book on relationships or self-help to like, a you know, uh, cookbook on healthy cooking to, uh, women's fiction, to thrillers, whatever's out there, I will read. Um, so yeah, we love that. Oh, well, well well-rounded reading
1: (laughs) interests, a little bit of everything. When you do read thrillers, um, or like when you're gravitating towards thrillers, when you're not writing, do you like a slow burn thriller Or do you kind of, or do you enjoy like when it's sort of twist after twist after twist? Or is there a place for both?
0: Yeah, I think I like both. I think it's all in the writing, you know, and that as long as the writing's good, I'm along for the ride, whether it's a slow burn or it just, you know, something goes down. Like uh, the book I just read, uh, is it Falling or Drowning? Uh, The one about the plane going into the ocean. And then there's like an air pocket, like that one right there, you know, page one, the action starts. So I'm... Um, you know, either one has its place. It's really just about the voice and the writing for me. Um, I'm hooked if you have that.
1: Absolutely. Has there been anything that you've read recently, although you said you are working on something, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute, um, that's really stood out to you uh, as a recent
0: read? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's a book that's been out for a while. Um, and this will show you, I do read across all genres because it's actually a YA book, but it's Everything, Everything by uh, Nicola Yoon that I read. Uh, I actually just reread and I love that book. Have you read that one? It's yes. It's so good. The twist, It's so good. I absolutely love that book. So I'm recommending that one to everybody. That's such a great selection.
1: It just makes you feel all
0: the feels. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that. I mean, it, it, again, it feels like a bit of a hybrid because it feels like it's one kind of book and then it turns into something else, um, but it was masterfully done. Exactly.
1: Now, what are you working on now that you can talk about? I know you might not be able to say anything yet. I'm asking you, we're a few weeks away from gone tonight it's not even out yet. And I'm like, what are you working on now? What's coming next?
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you know how this process goes. Like we're, Mm -hmm. um, by the time our book comes out, we're usually well into the next one. And so I've actually just recently finished the next book, which will be out this time next year. And I'm starting the process of uh, the one after that. So my next book is also a thriller. And it's told from the point of view of only one character. Typically, I like to do two characters in thrillers, and they bounce off each other. But I also like a challenge, and I thought, you know, if I can try to really keep up suspense, and it's just through the lens of one character, I want to. I want to do that. It was a, it was a difficult uh, thing to write. It took uh, twice as long as Gone Tonight. But um, it's uh, the working title is House of Glass. It's about a woman with a very unusual job. And she uh, basically goes to work for this family. Uh, She's a lawyer and they're divorcing. And she is something called a best interest attorney or guardian ad litem. She has to figure out the custody arrangements for their child because the parents um, are at an impasse. And there is a lot there, um, but I probably shouldn't say too much at this point.
1: Yeah, well, we certainly know how that goes. But as a reader, I'm very excited to know this is so funny out Gone Tonight comes out in a few weeks, but also we have a lot more coming from you next year and beyond.
0: Absolutely. A book a year is, I think, the you know a good pace in uh, publishing for commercial fiction, for thrillers, and it works really well for me. I, I love to do a book a year. I love it. But
1: as a reader, it's from the author perspective, I know that it's a lot of work that goes into it. Um, and here we are as readers, like, oh, I read this in one day. When's the next book coming out? <laughs> you're like, this took me months. <laughs> <laughs> so, to wrap up, is there anything that you would want readers to take away from this story and gone tonight?
0: Mm, that is a good question, too. Um... Hmm. I think maybe it would be like, you know, get to know the people close to you, ask the questions there. They probably have stories you've never heard before and, um, ask the questions and find out things that they, they may have not brought to light.
1: That's perfect. I'm like, and that's going to be the episode of the, the title episode you know, the stories that uh, you've not heard before. Um I love that I love that so much. Thank you so much for talking to me today about Gone Tonight. For our listeners, you can pick up this book on August 1st. So run to your bookstores, run to your libraries, uh, place it on hold now. This is going to be one of the thrillers of the summer, I guarantee. Um, and it's been such a delight speaking with you today, Sarah. Thank you so much. You've been amazing. Thank you for the great
0: questions. This was really good.
1: My name is Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe
0: to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.